0: Hi guys, today we're going live with Jerry Bradshaw of Tar Heel Canine down in North Carolina. Jerry is the executive director and co-to- co-founder of Protection Sports Association. Basically like the NFL of dog sports, American dog sports. But we'll have Jerry explain the technicalities of all that. There we go, scent. Hope everyone's doing great tonight. Hey.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: I'm good, how are you? Doing well. Thanks so much for joining us tonight.
1: No worries at all, sorry for my uh, technological ineptness.
0: All good, improvise. So I wanna start talking about your career path and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Um,
1: I uh, started out uh, my adult life in graduate school. I was studying to be uh, professional economist and uh, a college professor and uh, you know long story short I was at UNC Chapel Hill doing my uh, doing my uh, last uh, like I guess my fourth or my fifth year I'm sorry at uh, in my PhD program and uh, I kind of got uh, hooked on dogs I ended up uh, you know earlier that earlier in my fourth year I got uh, my house broken into and so I went and got a dog I'd never owned a dog in my life before um, Found a little dog that uh, looked kind of like a Malinois and thought might be, because uh, it was a shepherd mix, thought it might be a good, um, you know, guard dog for the house since my house got uh, broken into. And it turned out she was a terrible guard dog. She was too, too friendly. Um, and I, start, I started taking her to uh, obedience classes um, just, you know, for, for general training once once I got her. And I really started to fall in love with the, was just training her and spending time. Uh, with her, and uh, then I started um, doing a little bit of apprenticeship with uh, the instructors that were at the Animal Protection Society in Chapel Hill, and helped them teach some classes. And then, you know, and then uh, I still had the uh, unresolved guard dog issue, so I found a dog that looked like uh, Penny, my uh, first dog, and that happened to be a, a Belgian Malinois. So I called some breeders, and most of them uh, thought I was crazy and, uh, inexperienced to have a mallet course, And, um, but I ended up finally finding a breeder in Canada, uh, who, uh, I later became friends with. And then I ended up getting uh, a dog from a dog from him, a puppy and, um, started, he made me promise that I would go to a Schutzen club if I got the dog. And I, I did. And I found the Raleigh Schutzen club and a bunch of really high level trainers were um, training there at the time. And, Kind of got hooked on dog sports and uh, kept training both my dogs and eventually got a a third dog, got another Malinois that was older, uh, that uh, from the same guy. And I was impatient. I really wanted to to put titles on my dog. And so I got an older dog. It had a lot of problems and uh, mainly big tracking problems. And so um, I kind of like really immersed myself into trying to get that dog titled and and you know, sort of took off from there. Um, you know, got uh, ended up taking my puppy to uh, Schutzen Three and took him to nationals in '96, uh, and we came in 22nd place out of a field of like 60 or, or 65 um, competitors. So that was great. And then um, you know, he got, uh, got injured, and you know, over a period of time, I uh, ended up uh, deciding that you know I wanted to go into a different type of competition and. Uh, by that time, I had started my business and, you know, a few friends I uh, had made in the industry and um, Joe Morris and I decided to start PSA and then, you know, that kind of happened and uh, by that time, I had a, an, another competition dog, another two competition dogs and I started showing them and PSA and it was small back then, you know, there's only, you know, like his club and my club started out that way for like the first year. Uh, and then a lot of people started coming out to the competitions that we had at our clubs and they wanted to get involved. And so we started adding clubs and we formalized all the rules. And, you know, that was back uh, 2001 when that happened. And so, you know, it was a uh, it was a pretty monumental thing that we ended up doing because it, you know, over the intervening, you know, 20 years, it got really, really busy. Um, and so we've had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of interest all over the country, all over the world. and Yeah, so it's been a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool ride so far. And in the meantime, I built up a a pretty good business uh, selling police dogs and uh, pet training and uh, our school for dog trainers and so forth. So it's been uh, been busy ever since uh, ever since I uh, left my graduate program to uh, become a dog trainer.
0: Very cool. Great story. so I kind of have the interview kind of structured in a, a particular way. So I want to start off with the um, PSA stuff. Sure. Um, so when you were first starting off, can you talk about the birth of it all and um, what kind of hurdles you ran into?
1: Yeah, first- it was. Um, you know, like there are there are a lot of already well established sports in the country. You know, um, we had uh, you know French ring was well established. Mondio was kind of just you know, getting more popular. Um, obviously, the king was, uh, was Schutzen at the time, um, uh, which, uh, you know, I think by that time it might have become IPO. I don't know. It's gone through so many name changes over the years. But, um, yeah, so we were, uh, you know, so here we are uh, in, uh, you know, Baltimore, Maryland. I'm at uh, um, a uh, one of Joe's club members' houses. And, you know, we were training. We, we started training for some – there were some other, like um, – surprise scenario sports that were out there uh, one called canine pro sports um and then another one uh called napd which was out in california and it started to make its way east coast there were a few clubs um you know uh, outside of california and so we started you know we, we dabbled a little bit in some of those competitions and we always came away from those competitions saying like the idea of surprise scenario sport is great but these sports are just not doing it well. And, you know, we didn't like the way the judging was. Like, I came from a Schutzen background. I really liked the way Schutzen and IPO judged, because basically the judge, you know, does a critique at the end and tells you everything you did uh, well and did wrong and why you lost your points and so forth. So it was, like, kind of transparent, and I kind of liked that about, about the way IPO is judged. And so, um, you know we uh, you know, we had traveled a lot already by that time internationally and been to – you know, Belgian ring clubs and Mondio clubs and KMPV clubs and IPO clubs in Europe. And, you know, we were sitting there and uh, we said, you know, why don't we just start our own sport? And, you know, we were like, well, that's kind of a crazy idea. But what the hell? I said, you know, I said, what if we're just happy with what we we do? What if we just have like two clubs and have a couple of competitions a year and we'll make trophies? We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll have uh, we'll judge it. You know and and we'll just have fun like ultimately that's what we wanted to do and uh, so that 's what we did. We just started out by just saying we're going to have two you know these uh, surprise scenario competitions and you know and then we started doing it pretty well, and people came out, they watched, they liked what they saw, uh, and that's when people wanted to really get involved with it. but some of the hurdles man like that that was the days of message boards on the computer, right, so you had message boards. <laughs> right, where everybody would angrily type at each other, and <laughs> you know, and so we came up with, you know, like our level one courage test, where you basically run through the dog on the courage test is kind of, you know, a little bit borrowed from KMPV, but a lot borrowed from, um, like the, you know, and 3 courage test, and, uh, you know, we got a lot of, oh, you're going to hurt dogs, you know, running through them on the courage test, and it's too dangerous of a sport, and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, and, and knock on wood, which I will, um, it's been a very safe sport uh, over the years. We take real pride in training our decoys. Uh, We have a fabulous director of decoys and Sean Siggins, and he has taken over the last uh, 10 years, he's taken that program probably to new heights to the point where all of the other um, surprise scenario sports that tend to pop up. One thing that they all have in common is that they all want our decoys to decoy their events. Uh, you're a certified PSA decoy you are good to go to decoy all these other little sport events so um, that tells us we're kind of doing something right uh, in that uh, in that aspect of it and um, you know like the growth of it was hard like um, you know it, uh sometimes in the beginning it kind of attracted people who couldn't do French Ring or Mondio or IPO and they thought they could just step on a, a field and you know and, and show their dogs, and you know it would be you know a uh, a fun thing to do and so we had a lot of people that came out and got surprised at actually how technical and difficult the sport is, um, so we had some issues there uh, with uh, with growth originally, but you know like now you know, one of the nice things is our sport is mentioned amongst all the sports, you know what I mean? As, uh, you know, as a, as a big player, we have interest all over the the world from, you know, from other countries. And had had it not been for uh, the pandemic, I think uh, that was exploding in terms of of its growth. And so we're trying to take measures to keep nurturing that, you know, while all this uh, is going on. But uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been probably in the last, I would say, Seven or eight years, where our growth has really uh, taken off, right? Like we we became like one of the players. Um, people see us as legitimate. We have a lot of really qualified, good judges. We have a lot of qualified uh, decoys. A lot of people who are really good trainers are training in our sport, and so um, you know, it's, it it takes a while for something like that to get legitimized. You know through participation in the market of ideas but you know being an economist i always believed in the free market of ideas and if our idea was good enough it, it would it would play out and be successful if not everybody else would squash us and uh, and we would go away with our tail between our legs and you know um fortunately it hasn't been that way uh and i think we we have a you know we have a very open sport we have a lot of people that have come from other disciplines we encourage unlike most other sports we encourage our members to go show in other sports you know we're like if you want to go show in ipo go ahead you can be members in our organization and any other one you know we're you know I, I like to say we are uh comfortable in our um in our sport in the sense that we don't think we have to legislate like some of these other sports do that you can't compete in somebody else's sport to kind of hold on to them i always felt like that was uh you know, the Berlin Wall trying to, you know, trying to keep all your members in by building a wall around you. And I think that's ridiculous. So um, I, you know, I think uh, a lot of our members have uh, have competed in other sports and some of them even at our top level uh, directors and judges have competed both in PSA and then gone over to like French ring. John Katz does it. Uh, Some of the other um, high level competitors have dabbled in other sports, but at the end of the day, a lot of them, you know, they dabble in those other sports, they go to them and they're like, you know what? I think I'll just come back to PSA. And so sometimes it happens that way. And that makes me happy when I see that. I I like everybody to do what they feel comfortable with and do what they want to do. But uh, I think, uh, We have a lot to offer for um, most of our, uh, most of our people that are in it. And, uh, and I think uh, that's what makes it popular and keeps it growing.
0: That's awesome. Well done. Great work. Thank you. Um, I think uh, one of the things I I love about um, PSA as a a spectator, you know, watching online is, um, I mean, especially this last year, it has been so refreshing to see people outside, you know, training with their dogs, competing, right. like fighting for something, you know, it it, mm-hmm. it was very uplifting. And for me, gave me a sense of like, a, a sense of normalcy, mm-hmm. you know, like nothing yeah. else mattered. Whatever craziness was happening didn't matter. You're just working on this scenario with your dog. Right.
1: right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's important. Like you said, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are, you know, you know, live in places where they're locked in their houses and they can't do anything and can't go out and- You know, it's uh, it's refreshing. You know, we had we had our doubts whether or not we were going to be able to have nationals last year. Uh, And, um, you know, we did. Um, It was uh, it was well run. You know, it was in Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas. It was a well run event. Uh, And we had a lot of people come from all over the country to participate from, you know, from everywhere. And uh, we had a great time at a great nationals. And, uh, you know, despite all of the challenges of last year, Uh, Our people really want to get out there and show. You know, like everybody's dying to get out there on the field. Like right now, when trials open up, you know, like when it gets announced, um, they get booked and closed out. Like we have, you know, up to 25 spots per day for a two day trial. And within hours, my trial in in May uh, was filled up. I had a a waiting list that was quite substantial after that. So, um, yeah, I think you're right. I think people are really thirsting for that normalcy of being able to, you know, not just go out in the backyard and, uh, you know, and train with their dog, but also go to a trial and be around other people that do what you do. You know, I think that's important. I think as human beings, we're, we're not meant to be isolated at all. And, uh, and when, you know, we want to be around people that are like us, you know, people that love dogs and, you know, like to, like to train dogs at a high level and, Compete and you know put our training out there and, and and have somebody else objectively look at it. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. I think uh, and uh, you know I'm, I'm happy that the directors and and, uh, and everybody in PSA is really trying to keep things moving forward.
0: Mm-hmm. I think um, there's such an, a dedication aspect to it, and I think um, like community is so important because when you're so obsessed with something, mm-hmm. it's hard to talk about it with people that are outside of that circle, and then to you know, have a a team or community to chat with and learn from is really, really healthy, inspiring, and just like good for the soul. So oh for
1: sure, for sure. I think yeah. uh I think obsessed crazy people, dog people <laughs> be around each other, you know what I mean? Uh it definitely mm-hmm. helps uh helps you feel normal. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So um on Instagram have you ever gone to the hashtag uh like PSA? And you have yeah, I follow down? it,
1: so I, I see the po- a lot of the posts that pop up. Yeah, for sure. And
0: what's it like for you scrolling through and seeing all the content? It's
1: exciting, you know. Like I um back when we first started this in in uh, in a backyard in Baltimore, um, just talking about it. You know, I never imagined it would grow to the extent that it has. But that's pretty been tr- pretty much been true with everything that I've done in the dog world. Like I never expected my business to get as big as it has or have the reach or You know all of that, and uh, you know it's. uh, (laughs) I get. I I usually get choked up every Nationals when I see, you know, when you see a. A room full of like you know a hundred people at a banquet, you know, and our banquets are the best banquets in dog sport. I I don't care what sport you come from. Like you know, we we thank each other, we congratulate each other, we. Um, strive to make our sport the best that it can be for competitors. It's that's the number one thing. Uh, we try and outdo every nationals with the next nationals, and it seems to have worked that way uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty significantly uh, each year. Even last year was amazing in the stadium in Little Rock that we had, and and, uh, and just the way it all uh, came off. You know, and and I get choked up when I see that. and I'm like, all these people are here you know, because Joe and I had a stupid idea in Baltimore, you know, we're like, Oh, we could do that. You know, we can make a sport. Right. And um, it's been a lot of work, but um, you know, when, when I go to trials, I'm a super competitive guy. So like when I go to compete, I'm a miserable ass. When I go to a trial, Um, (laughs) I'm not much fun to be around just because I'm just in my head the whole time. But when I, when I judge or when I go just as a, as a spectator, um, and I, one of the things that I look at all the time are all the people that have built friendships and relationships around PSA. And so that's the thing that I see. Um, you know, when I, when I, I we were just at, at, uh, the club trial for Sandhills PSA here, um, where, uh, uh one of my trainers, uh, Ben Lipinski got his first leg of his uh, PSA three under Joe Parks. And, um you know, so I was there as a, as a spectator. I was there as uh you know, like a fan of Ben's, you know, he works for me, but I'm a big fan of his, we train together and, you know, we talk a lot about our training and, and, uh, and our colleagues. So, you know, like getting to just watch all the people out there, you know, seeing, and I'm sorry, Ben, but seeing him get emotional after, you know, he's failed a few times, like nobody goes to the threes and just like sails through, you know? Um, so you know there's some hardship you know there's some bumps in the road and, and you know and, and uh, ben ben's had a few bumps in the road on the way but he he showed such a masterful uh showing handling his dog his, his dog uh, did a did a really really super nice performance and um you know i you know when when i when he was awarded his 3 you know it was a very emotional moment for him and you know he uh, he's known as a non-emotional guy but i could see he was fighting so hard to choke back you know the uh, uh a little bit of uh, teary eyes you know to I me mean? like he had finally broken through at that level and you know we all knew he was deserving and, and it was gonna come right uh, but uh, you know when you're in that position and you know and you fail a few times and you think oh my god is this ever gonna happen i work you know he's one of the hardest working trainers i know Um, You know, so like when you see that, when you see somebody who puts everything that they have into something that you created, it it makes it such that, you know, I feel like I have such a responsibility to do right by all these people that are involved, Um, you know, and and luckily we have a board of directors and, and all the, you know, all the secretaries and all the people that are involved in the administration we're all volunteers. Like none of us get salaries for what we do. And uh, in PSA, it's always been a volunteer organization. We put all the money we make back into the sport. And I think that's one of the reasons why it works so well. Um, yeah. But you know, th- that's the thing that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it makes me really happy to know that all these people are out there doing that stuff because of me, right. Because of me and Joe, because we had an idea and we just kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And, you know, over, you know, we're having our, you know, uh our big anniversary of this year our our, uh, our 20th anniversary um you know and it's uh, that's a pretty big deal you know we've been around for you know for a long time it's it keeps growing like people are passionate about it and, and that's a big deal to me like that's the that's the thing like people have an outlet with their dogs they're doing something that they love to do you know and uh, and you know and we create that ability for them to go out and do that stuff and you know people are obsessed about PSA as a sport and that's like man there's no better feeling you know that okay i did something good here uh than to see you know people like dedicating themselves to doing it so that's it's a, a pretty big deal for me
0: mm-hmm. well done. um we have a few people who um have questions about well okay one person Kai now she, she recently um started a psa club down in florida oh, and nice. she wants to know um what advice do you have for newer PSA club clubs going into the um, green and upper levels
1: yeah it's um travel 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 right like if you look at all the most successful you know handlers and level three people we tr- we all travel you know we we go to other clubs we train our dogs in other fields we seek out advice you know like you know back back in April of 2019, I had probably the worst showing of a Raptor I had ever had. You know, I, I was I was on my home field. I felt like I was ready, and like my routine fell apart like within the first five minutes. And um, my good friend and former head uh, head police dog trainer Janet um, Edwards from State Line Canine was there. You know, I talked. I, I pulled her aside, and I'm like, I'm you know, I'm like, you know, what do I do with this dog? He's he's a lunatic, right? And you know, so we talked a little bit about things that we do um, you know I've talked with Ben I have talked with Sean Siggins about it I've talked with uh, um, you know my uh, my girlfriend Taylor about it you know and we you know like I've, I've talked to a lot of people about different things different strategies you know with my training and I think that's one thing you'll find amongst all the people at the high levels we all will train with each other you know we're, we're not you know we're, we're very uh, we're very open to that stuff so I think a lot of people will come to our club you know, just to visit and get a chance to train with us. But, I, you know, I always tell people like be super open, um, you know, be really open, listen to people who've done it before. Like a lot of people think, you know, hey, I'm a good trainer, you know, I can get in here and do this. There's a lot to the, the upper levels. And there's a lot of things that people don't know until you get in, you get beat up a little bit, um, you know, in those levels. So it, it's tough. So, you know, like seek out help, be open, be humble. Those are the things that I always tell people. And the, and don't get, like, all wound up about, um, you know, like, whoever the training director is in your club should be somebody who's got experience and maybe an experienced decoy or something like that. But at the same time, listen to each other. Like, you know, work on things together. Don't, you know, don't, don't have this rigid, oh, I'm the training director. Everybody has to do what I say. That makes club miserable. Even me, you know, as long as people are out on the field, if they're – they're not doing anything particularly unsafe, If they want to experiment or, you know, or try some things with their dog. I always let them do it, you know? And finally, sometimes they'll be like, all right, what do you think? (laughs) I'm like, okay, I could have saved you a few steps here, but uh, (laughs) here's, you know, here's how I would do it, right? And that's, I always preface things like that when I'm working with trainers, because a lot of the people that are in my club are really good trainers in their own right already. You know, and I would say, here's what I would do. Here's how I would do this. Uh, And, you know, take it or leave it. Don't, like, get upset if somebody doesn't take your advice. I see that so often in clubs where, you know, you give somebody advice and they don't take it, and then people get all butthurt about it. Um, (laughs) You know, worry about you. Run your own training, you know. Um, You know, if you're open and humble, you'll you'll take advice from other people. But it goes both ways, you know. Like, don't get all wound up if people don't take your advice you may think you're the smartest dog trainer on planet earth. That's great. You're not, Um, you know, it takes a while to get out there and and get beat up a little bit, especially in competition where, you know, you're going to fail a bunch, you know, some people get into it and, you know, and pass their first couple of trials and get a PVC and high scores. And, you know, then they do a one and they close it out and, you know, in a couple of, you know, a couple of trials. And then you get to the twos and now it starts, things start to be a little more difficult and, you know, you may fail here and there. And it's just like, that's just the way it happens. I used to show people my scorebooks from my first two PSA three dogs, you know, and I was like, I had a lot, there were a lot of times I stepped on the field and didn't pass. But if you take all of those opportunities to, you know, to, to show your dog and, you know, if you don't, if you don't pass, those are all learning opportunities that you cannot pass up. Like when I had the worst showing of my career and I say worst, like Raptor got out of hand, like off the starting line in the first, you know, a hundred yards of of movement. Um, and, and finally his normal, normally fairly tight healing turned into like, he looked like a border collie that was circling me, you know, and I was the sheep, you know, I had to call it at that point and pull. And, you know, I was like, Oh wow. Like that really didn't go as I expected, but it's really spawned Taylor and I to really dig deep into, all right, what do we have to do? How can we really rein this guy in? He's, he's like a super, super high drive, you know, very, very, um, very, very reactive kind of dog. Um, and uh, he's he's not an easy dog for this sport at all. Um, I could have picked a lot easier dogs to train for level three. and uh, And so, but we, you know, we kind of, we kind of worked on it and hammered away at it and we found like a home zone with it. And then all of a sudden things started to fall together and and then in in uh, November of two thousand and nineteen, just a few months later um I uh, showed at nationals and won nationals and got my first leg at nationals and then i didn't I didn't show all last year and then showed at nationals and they got my second leg at nationals and I retired him so like that was you know that was like three it was like almost three and a half years at the level three with him. Um, until, until I passed. And then we kind of passed in pretty big fashion doing it at two consecutive national championships and, you know, and, and winning, winning nationals. So that was kind of, that was kind of a really cool way to, to end his career and, and to wrap things up with him. But there was a lot of hardship along the way. There was a lot of days where, you know, I sat in my car and, you know, Ben and I talk about this, you know, sometimes after training, you sit in your car and you're like, oh my God, like, is this ever going to happen? Right. Um, and, uh, and so I think if you, uh, if you take some of that advice it'll it'll be helpful like work with each other, be partners, you know um, nobody has to be the boss necessarily you know, aside from like making sure things are safe and, and and done and done well but
0: that's
1: that's the best advice I can give new new clubs
0: thank you for that okay now um changing gears, can you talk about tar heel canine
1: yeah sure um so uh tar heel started out uh, I started out as a pet dog trainer like a lot of people right so um I was I was in uh, a Shotsen club at the time training my personal dogs. That was my outlet. And um, I was spending so much time training training my dogs in Shotsen. I was tracking and doing obedience. And I was going to club three nights a week. Um, I was also, you know, in a a top 20 graduate program in economics. And I was, you know, trying to make a living um, becoming a college professor. And um, so – I was spending so much time training dogs that I wasn't doing enough uh, to uh, get my dissertation written (laughs) and all that. So I I was like, well, you know, if I'm smart, I will um, find something to support me. And so I was like, well, you know, since I love training dogs, maybe I should start a dog training company. And I did. And I started doing a little bit on the side while I was still in grad school. And that um, it turned out pretty well. I started I was like, "Okay, I can kind of do decently well at this and make some money. And uh, so I started doing it um, a little bit more fervently. And, um,
0: you know, at at the end of the day, I was like,
1: okay, I think I can do this. And then I kind of got to that point in my career where I was, I was faced with the decision of, I can't keep doing both of these things, like trying to finish my doctoral work and become a college professor and, and run a successful business, right? Like I had to pick one. And so when I picked uh, being a dog trainer, everybody in my family, of course, thought I was a lunatic um, because I, you know, I had gotten a bachelor's, a master's uh, from Virginia Tech. And then I was like five years deep in my PhD program when I cut out to become a professional dog trainer. And um, so, but I I did that. I started and I spent like the first, I would say, you know, good bit of time, like the first five or six years as a pet, mainly a pet dog trainer. I did some. You know, I did some, uh, I did my and on the side. I did, you know, my sports stuff on the side. My main income was as a pet dog trainer and training training uh, pet dogs. Um, I learned so much from training pet dogs. Um, I would never give up that time that I spent training pets. I think that was one of the, the, the best learning experiences I could ever have as a professional trainer. Um, I always tell my students now that they're spoiled because they get to work police dogs that are selected to do all of the things we want them to do. Like they got good nerves and high drives and, you know, and then they have prey and defense and they channel well and all that kind of stuff. And so like, don't think you're a genius because you can get a Malinois to bite. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's not genius. Like getting a, like a, like a retired racing greyhound to sit down, stay, come and heal. That might take some genius, you know? Um, So Anyway, uh, you know, I uh, I spent a lot of time doing that. And I started getting into the, the police dogs a little bit, I uh, imported some green dogs and flipped some green dogs and kind of got into it that way. And then we started training some dogs for some departments. And, you know, it took a while to break in as a civilian uh, into that market. And then I did. And, you know, over the years, it's just been a steady kind of a growth. And now we have um you know not just that we have our school for dog trainers uh and uh you know so we train police dogs we train people to be dog trainers we train canine instructors uh as well for from various departments that come and want to learn how to be instructors we do seminars for uh, militaries not just here in the states but around the world and And we do, um, you know, we do, uh, you know, police department seminars and high-risk deployments and things like that. So we've got a a fairly, um, you know, big business uh, where we've got a lot of reach into a lot of different areas. Um, But our our mainstay is our police dogs and our dog trainer school. We've still got a big pet dog program that we run out of here as well. Uh, And um, I'm pretty proud of, you know, all of the people that work for me. They work hard and, you know, and they uh, they take their job seriously and, and they're all very, very high quality instructors and they really want, you know, the students to come away learning a lot. They really want the, um, you know, our police departments to, to have dogs that are going to do the work for them and take a lot of pride in, in putting out dogs that, uh, you know, go out and, and bite the bad people and also, you know, find the uh, contraband and, uh, and track the uh, track that, that need to be found. So it really is uh, an obsession. Honestly, I, I did, you know, for, a, for a time I, um I kind of got, mired in uh, running my business more than anything else and got away from the training. I would do a lot of seminars and travel to do seminars and, you know, and judge PSA and stuff like that. In the last couple of years, um, I, um, I refocused myself and, you know, I said, why did I get into this? I didn't get into this to become a, a like an administrator of a company, right? Um, <laughs> and so I hired somebody to, to help with all of the things I didn't want to do from, accounting to, you know, um, you know, all the, uh, all the, uh, the stuff that has to be done just to run a business. Um, and so I have some help in that department. I still do all the contracting for us and, and, and do a lot of the uh, customer relations, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I found that I had to outsource some of that stuff so I could stay sane. And then what that did is it freed up a lot of time for me to be able to go back into training. And, and so now I go out and I train every single day. And I have done for the last, uh, you know, two and a half years or so. Uh, and that's been a, a big change in, in in life for me because that's really where I want to be. I want to be out working dogs. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, you know, you own a business. I own a business, right? A lot of people listening own a business. You know, you, you have to deal with that stuff, you know, no matter what. Uh, but, you know, I say do the stuff that you really, that really, you know, like feeds your soul, you know. And for some of us, that for me, it's competition, but. You know, nothing really beats training a, a a variable surface tracking dog that finds a really, really bad person um, that did some bad things to people. You know, and when, when I get those calls from our departments, we get a lot of them. I think we have one of the best tracking programs in the country. You know, that to me, is, you know, when there's like an infinite number of places this person could have run away from, and you have a starting point, and your dog can put his nose on the ground and take you right to that person, Take sometimes take you right to their house. Um, and right to their back door. Uh, that's a pretty incredible feeling when, when you get that feedback, and you know, so that's exciting for us. You know, for uh, to be able to do that, and, and exciting for me makes me want to get up every day, right? Um, the problems that come along with that, and, and working through them, is also one of the reasons you get up every day, right? How am I going to solve these problems with these dogs, right? Um, and whether you're in a pet dog, you know, training position, or you're doing working dogs, or or even you know your own dog, you're trying to train. You know, you're always putting challenges in front of yourself and saying, how can I work through this? Right. And then, you know, that's your that's that's the that's what feeds your growth. Right. You, you step up to those challenges and, and and you get through them and you figure out how to do it. And then it makes you better. And that that really makes uh, makes for a, a great life as a dog trainer, I think.
0: Absolutely. So question. How does the police dog training, the sport dog training and the pet dog training differ?
1: And when, oh, well, when
0: you the approach to it,
1: um, for us, it, there's a lot of commonalities just in terms of how we do things, right? Like, you know, um, whether I'm training a pet dog or I'm training a police dog to do obedience, right? Um, it's pretty much the same. It's it's a you're looking for a certain level of functionality in certain commands under you know uh, fairly steep levels of distraction. Like a pet dog has to work under. Well, that's what a lot of people don't understand, right? like a a pet dog has to work under a lot of distraction, right? They have to go different places, the parks and, you know, just be out in the world. And the police dog is, is exactly the same, right? They have to, you know, they have to, every place they go every day is different, right? So every deployment they do is in a different place. They're not going to a field that they're comfortable with and, you know, things like that. Right. So, you know, there's very, those commonalities uh, between pet dogs and police dogs is just like in the way they work, they have to work in the real world and they have to be functional. Right. Um, For You know, for our competition dogs, there's a lot of things that we borrow from competition work that we use in pet dog training. You know, like we, you know, we use attention healing for reactivity and things like that. If you can own a dog's eyes, you can own their reactivity to things that they might react to. Right. Um, You know, and so, you know, things that we that are born out of, um, you know, born out of the, uh, um, you know, pet dog world. Uh, or, or competition world get borrowed into other things. You know, sometimes some of that stuff will get borrowed into, like, let's say, you know, we do a lot of drive capping in sport. Um, we do a lot of drive capping in our police dogs, right? So that's something that we borrow into our police dog training. So there there's more commonalities than, uh, than I would say there are big differences. Um, obviously, with, you know, with police dogs, I don't need, you know, the level of neutrality I need in a PSA 3 dog. You know, in some cases, that would actually be a bad thing. Um, and the same thing is true, you know, in, uh, I, I don't, I don't need high level, you know, competition obedience in pet dogs, you know, um, you gotta, you know, what I always tell my students is you have to train to a level that the people that are functioning with the dog will maintain. And if you, if you do, if you train so far beyond their level of maintenance, then all of that extra work that you did is going for nothing. Right. Um, you know, and, and if, you know, if you train a pet dog to the point where it, you know, has perfect attention healing and all that stuff. And then they stop rewarding it the right way, you know, for, for the, for the attention work. And all of a sudden all that goes away. And it's, was it really worth the time and effort you put in in the first place? So, you know, if the dog, you know, I always tell people if the dog will stay and it'll come back, right. You're going to have a happy pet dog <laughs> you know, client usually. Right. Um, and of course, you know, you got behavior problems. And I, I told my students when I was giving a, a lecture the other week, a police dog is also a dog, right it's also just a dog. And so you have police dogs that have behavior problems. So study all your pet dog information because the stuff that you see, obsessive compulsive disorders, uh, you can have, you can have a dog that gets nervous when the handler leaves the police car. You know, they get a little separation anxiety because they're hanging out all the time. Right. Um, you can have, uh, have dogs that get, uh, um, you know, um, resource guarding issues and things like that, just like a pet dog can be a police dog that does it too, right? So, all of those things that you learn in pet dog training can come to bear on a police dog just the same, right? So, there's a lot of uh, a lot of that um, crossover as well. So, I really look at them all as very common, and and when I teach people about all three of those areas, I try and stress the commonalities and then just call attention to the things that are going to be somewhat different. Um, You know, so they understand, you know, that, yeah, there's going to be some differences. If I were to train a pet dog, I'm not going to train it to a, you know, a level I would train a competition dog for sure. Um, You know, that's a lot of, a lot of extra work and, and you want, you want to make sure that you're training efficiently, right? You're going to, you know, and and if I have a police dog handler, his workout, he's going to want efficiency, right? He's going to want to be able to, uh, deploy his dog and have it do the things that it needs to do. And beyond that, you know, there's probably not a lot of fancy stuff that that person really wants to do with their dog. Cause they're busy working with their dog all the time. So, you know, keep, keep it simple. Right. And, uh, and work on the things that are important, um, in their particular jobs and, and usually it'll be pretty safe.
0: Thank you. So on, um, police dogs, can you talk about what value dogs bring to the police force?
1: Yeah, sure. Like, um, uh, I think, I think the foremost thing they bring is, uh, it's probably, they're called a force multiplier, right? Because if you think about, you know, having to find somebody who, um, runs away from the scene of a crime, what could take hours and hours and hours and days and weeks of investigation and questioning and just take manpower, for example, um, you know, you put a dog's nose on that job and it's done in five minutes. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the astounding thing about it is, um, you know, if you uh, if you have a well-trained dog, like they're going to save you time. And so, you know, that's looked at on police forces as a force multiplier. Right. So um, I could do what what like a a small team with a tracking dog can do um, in a very short period of time might take a large team of officers a really long time to do. Um, the second thing really is the level of safety that it brings to the human beings. Um, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about that, but at the end of the day, you know, these, um, you know, these dogs are going to um, you know, be in a position to solve uh, problems efficiently for you so that you don't walk past a door, you know, that might contain a threat when you're doing a building search, you don't have to open it and look in um, you know, the dog can tell you from the outside of a closed door, whether somebody is hiding in there and potentially could cause somebody harm, um, you know, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think these, you know, these dogs are so valuable at, um, solving these problems efficiently and safely. Like it provides us, we would say it in, in, you know, police dog parlance as it provides me a standoff distance. If I have my dog able to alert on a doorway down a hallway where I can stay at cover, you know i'm safely back at cover my dog yes is in um some danger for being out there uh but at the same time he's solving that problem he's telling me what i need to know he's giving me important intelligence and uh, and that allows me as an officer to to figure out what's the best way to approach this knowing what i know, know knowing what the dog has told me um you know the the same thing are true when you're tracking you know, these dogs are capable of giving proximity alerts when you get close to threat or close to danger, they'll start to pick their head up, show behavior changes that, hey, we're getting close to the threat. So it gives you safety, standoff distance, the ability to avoid confrontations. And then, you know, another thing is de-escalation, right? Um, You know, they've done many studies over the years where they've asked felons in, in prison, would you rather get shot, stabbed or bit by a dog? And overwhelmingly, they would rather get shot first stab second and bit by a dog third they don't want to get bit by a dog like they're terrified generally people are generally terrified of getting bit by a dog and it's kind of a visceral reaction you know what i mean like you look down you know you look down the the pipe at a a dog who's coming at you and it's kind of scary right um you know and you're like i you know there's this thing we human beings have about not getting you know like eaten right like getting, you know, and, and having a predator actually bite us is, is pretty viscerally frightening, right? So I think um, the de-escalation that they provide where, you know, people, you know, people are ready and willing to fight cops. A lot of them know what situations cops cannot, you know, bring the, you know, their their deadly weapons to bear. And if they go hands on with somebody, you know, a lot of times um, you know, a dog just in the vicinity will cause people to say, I'm not going to take a chance on getting bit by that dog. And so we see that a lot where it takes things down. Um, you know, one of the, the big topics you know, over the past year has been, you know, <clears throat> you know, uh, police, you know, police and the use of force, let's say. Um, <clears throat> and so one of the things that most people don't understand is these less lethal tools that police have available to them, um, are, uh, very likely to keep suspects much safer. So, for example, if we have a a violent felon who, um, uh, you know, runs into a building or a wooded area, we can either send a dog to find him and perhaps if the dog finds him, he'll apprehend apprehend him with his mouth and and bite him. If we don't have a dog, then we have to send officers in. And those officers are going to go in with deadly force drawn. Um, And the likelihood that not only the victim will get um, hurt in that exchange of bringing that person into custody, but backup officers, uh, other people, you know, when bullets must fly, um, it provides a danger to the community, backup officers. We just had, you know, we just had one of our handlers who was down here a month ago, uh, you know, he went home and in backing up a situation, there was a live fire situation and and he got wounded uh, as a backup officer, right? So, you know, it's a it's a very dangerous job, and dogs allow us to do that job, and allow the officers that do it to do that job much more safely, um, and uh, and with a, uh, a an eye toward the safety of the people that they're a- actually apprehending. Um, you know, despite what people think, these these dogs are doing a public service to the people that they're actually, you know, um, having to go in and apprehend. Um, much better to get uh, bit by a dog than it is to get um, shot, um, and you know, and potentially lose your life. Um, so uh, a lot of times uh, the uh, people that do get bit by dogs um, say, you know, um, it's probably a bad, it probably was a bad idea to choose to uh, run away from the dog and to not surrender and have the opportunity. And so, um, you know, sometimes lessons get learned in those situations and, you know, for the better. Um, so in any case, there are so many reasons why dogs are so important. Uh, and I think it, that sort of stuff just doesn't get talked uh, about enough. There's a famous, you know, there's a famous police dog case um, where, you know, the, the judge ruled that the value to the suspect could not be understated. Um, you know, not having to search a building with with deadly force weapons at the ready, um, you know, expecting an ambush um, and, and a dog going in and making an apprehension, um, you know, saves so many lives a year. You have no idea. You know, a lot of people run from the police, a lot of people do bad things and run from the police and they must be brought into custody and uh, and dogs tend to do it extremely safely. There are, you know, people sometimes like to point to a few instances or a few cases where, you know, somebody is uh, hurt by a dog and uh, yes, it does happen and sometimes people do have some permanent damage from it. But at the end of the day, uh, it's a it's a much better tool uh, and a, and such a useful tool, you know, primarily you know, dog is a locating device that provides safety and standoff distance for, for the, for the, for the officers. And, uh, and y- you can't find a better tool in use right now that does that.
0: Truly an asset. It's so Truly, so cool. yeah. So interesting. Um, okay. Out of all the different things that you train, I know you do, um, a lot. Uh, what is your favorite thing to teach?
1: Whew. um, I would say, um, like in the last couple of, like I I used to hate IPO tracking. I hated I, I. I won't say I hated it. I I didn't like it. Um, which is one of the reasons that PSA does not have a tracking component to it. <laughs> <laughs> I, so. I will say that for sure. Right. Um, and so, but over the uh, over the years, um, I would say about. Uh, seven years ago when when sean siggins who used to work for me he's the director of decoys in in psa um when he came he was a a former canine handler for a lot of years we would known each other for like 15 years and he came to work for me for the last seven years um he brought with him uh, a kind of a change in how we do our tracking program and we invested in it and it was one of the best things that that was ever brought to our business um, so we started doing this uh, variable surface tracking, hard, a lot of hard surface tracking, which um, to people that don't realize it, like, uh, you know, dogs can really track on hard surfaces. No, you know, no questions, you know, no questions about that. I've seen it myself. I, I see dogs do it all the time. It's pretty astounding. And um, and so that has been something that um, I have really enjoyed in the last few years of really developing some, really high level tracking dogs um our other our other trainer ben uh, who i talked about earlier you know um he also a really good tracking trainer he's turned out a lot of good tracking tracking dogs from uh you know from his training as well and um you know it's something i enjoy now like it's a big challenge uh to me um to really challenge the dogs and 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 now we're you know like uh, a couple you know me personally Having gotten back into the day to day training not just the problem solving aspect of working with my trainers when you know, you know things come up that they can't figure out you know but the day to day of just grinding out these tracking dogs I really enjoy it um, and I love challenging them I love seeing you know what their capabilities are how we can push them um, and uh, and so that's been a lot of fun for me so i I've really come a hundred and eighty degrees on that i like I like the tracking you know now that we do because really it's it's fundamentally useful um there's not a lot of it doesn't have to like uh, look pretty you know like ipo tracking kind of has to look kind of pretty um but i use a lot of the things that i learned back when i did ipo tracking in my you know in my police dog tracking now um you know following following an odor to conclusion uh is uh you know it's really something that's fun you know and so that's that's a big deal but you know at the end of the day i'm a bite work guy right so I love bite work, um, you know, I, I eat and breathe bite work, like that's a that's a big deal to me. Um, and so I enjoy teaching it, I love working the dogs, I love developing our police dogs. You know, every time we get a police dog that has a, an actual real apprehension, gets a real bite, like, man, I am really, I'm really happy about that.
0: Very cool. Okay, um, Tooney50. Um, Jerry, how do you teach the dogs to be neutral to biting their fellow officers?
1: Um, a lot of
0: it is contextual,
1: you know, um, you have to, like, one of the things we use our students for a lot is um you know stacking them you know in uh, in our hallways as we're moving the dogs from point A to point B, setting them up, you know, for building searches, area searches, things like that. I will not lie, there are a lot like when you're developing these dogs and you have some really powered dogs and they're not like fully neutral to back up and you're you know sticking yourself in those situations. You know, there's a lot of times where it gets a little bit it gets a little bit scary. Um we had an instance with one of the dogs we had a really, really nice Dog we were training for uh, for one of our departments and um, she was doing a building search and she was a really really fast black Malinois and you know we were uh, you know stacked up on a doorway we let her go in she's working the hallway working down the hallway nice and systematically and I kind of poked my head through like a little window and uh, just to kind of get a little vantage point just to see how she was searching and um, just at that time she had uh, looked over her shoulder and saw me. And came flying back and leaped, like launched through the window. And um, luckily, my uh, my uh, one of my trainers and also my girlfriend Taylor was uh, next to me, and she had a um, like a trash can lid from one of those Rubbermaid trash cans, and she slapped it up there just in the nick of time before uh, she came sailing through the window and and, and nailed me. Um, but there have been a few close calls. We have a few close calls now and again uh, when when that happens. But you really have to a lot of times it's just, they have to see, you know, they have to see the team, you know, moving with them through the building. And then they start to learn, okay, if you're right next to me and behind me, you're, you you do not get bit. It's all the threats are in front. Right. And so we have to set it up that way. And the dogs will learn after a time, like sometimes they'll get frustrated searching if they don't find something. And then they look back and they say, Oh, there's three people back there. That's easy. And they want to come flying back and the handler, you know we we tell our handlers you know they have to be like a hockey goalie you know because the dog knows you and sometimes you have to reach out there and just make sure they don't come flying back and, and nail us right uh, but there, there are some uh, some scary moments that happen when we're doing that um but yeah it's it's just like a lot of repetition and seeing them in the right spots you know that they're going to see their backup officers in so they understand what's a threat and what's a friendly and they and they start to feel it and then once they get to their departments and they start working scenarios where You know the officers are dressed similarly to them they start like they start to make that connection right it's not just where they're positioned but also they you know they look they look like them right they're they're dressed similarly and so they start picking up on on some of that too
0: okay thank you for that tony linderson what are your thoughts on people having full-time jobs and working dogs
1: it depends like if you're doing it as a hobby you know and you're doing competition work like i think for sure you know there are a lot of people that do that successfully um, I don't think you always have to make your, your hobby or, your profession. Right. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of people really love, if you love dogs and you love working dogs, like, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a nice thing to be able to make that, you know, something you do every day. Um, and, and I think a lot of it depends on your temperament, right? Like, you know, there are some people that are like, ah, I, I, you know, I, I just, I'm so tired of being around dogs all the time. <laughs> you know, like I do it as a hobby. I do it as a profession if you're one of those people and you probably should have a different profession than your hobby and leave your hobby, your hobby. Right. Um, There is the possibility for some people that if you do your hobby thing as work, the fact that it's work might make it unpleasant after a time. But I think that's up to the individual. Right. Like, you know, for me, um, I, you know, even five, six years in, I couldn't see myself going back to being a college professor. Right. I, I didn't see that. That was not in my plan. You know, um, I really, I, you know, it's, you know, been, you know, 25 years or so doing this and I don't, I, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Like I get up every day wanting to do what I do. Um, and so that's, you know, to me, that's a gift. That's a blessing for me. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, I think it's uh, really an individual choice. Right. Okay.
0: Nick Martucci, any advice for military handlers wanting to become established trainers in the civilian sector?
1: Yeah, they have a really cool program now called SkillBridge. Look into it. And as you get to the end of your term, you can um intern with companies. Uh they basically will um send you to a place like Tarheel uh for a couple of months to intern, see if you like, you know, working in that industry on the civilian side. And so we just had um, a former Navy handler that came through and did three months with us. And he was already uh, a trainer in the, in the military. Uh, and so he kind of got to see the civilian side of the business a little bit. Um, and then, uh, you know, um, you know, that's a good way to do it. A lot of people come to our school for dog trainers. Like, um, you know, we have a lot of people that um, come to us through vocational rehab um, after they get out. And uh, and start their career by going through our school for dog trainers. That will set you up as you know, with a skill set that you can then you know apply as a professional trainer. Um, you know, pet dogs or you know, working dogs or a mixture of both. Like I always tell, I always tell my civilian, you know, the people that want to go into the into you know, training dogs, everything we do on the police dog side, tracking, detection, things like that, bite work, all has a a component on the civilian side, right? I think, you know, nose work, for example, if you know how to train detection dogs to find bombs and drugs, you can do nose work, right? And and that's something you can offer your clients. It's a great outlet for dogs, gives them stuff to do, right? Um, Tracking, like if you want to hold tracking classes, a lot of people are always looking for things to do with their dog out in the outdoors, right? We were talking about it earlier. Tracking is great. Go outside with your dog, lay some tracks, you know, have them do it. You can do it down, you know, down a, a, you know, a, a busy road. You know what I mean? Like, that's the cool thing about hard service tracking. Like you can lay tracks everywhere. Like we're, people must think we're ridiculous. Like they must think we have the worst dogs in the world when they drive by we're on the side of highways and our dogs noses are always to the ground and moving forward. They're like, why don't any of these dogs heal? You know, they're always got their nose to the ground. They seem distracted. Right. But we're all, we're out there doing this stuff all over the place. We're, you know, tracking past businesses, you know, and, and things like that. And, um, you know, it's I think it's a it's a cool thing to be able to get out there and do that kind of stuff with your dog or, you know, getting out there and doing sport, you know, being with, like you said, with like minded people doing stuff that you love to do. Like, there's really nothing better than doing that. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think if you come to a, a class like ours and take like a master program and learn all of that stuff, there's always stuff that you can do to apply that in the civilian sector as well. Even if you don't do police dogs or working dogs, you don't have to do that
0: where do you think the future of dog training is going that's a
1: hard one it's a tough one you know like there's you know like everything nowadays is, is politicized you know what i mean so you know it's like you know everybody either wants to force you to do something or ban some shit like that's the like the new ethos in america you know everybody has to think the way i think and you know i'm a kind of leave me the fuck alone kind of a guy you know what i mean so um, you know, if you want to train with, uh, you know, treats and clickers and that's the only thing you want to do fine, just leave me alone. Cause I'm, I want to use an e-collar when I train my PSA three dog.
0: Um, and I'm going to
1: use them on my police dogs because it, it increases safety. Um, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, as a trainer, you have to be, you have to be working hard to, uh, make sure that the tools that you have access to, um, are things that are going to be available to you. Um, and you have to be a little political. You have to join some organizations that are lobbying for that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, I think I think the future of dog training is more and more high level stuff. Like one of the things I'm so impressed with is in 20 years, the, what has happened in the quality of PSA training, for example, is astounding. Right? Like I always felt like my two, my, like my first two PSA three dogs were back in 2003, 2004. Right like a lifetime ago for a lot of people. And so I always felt like, you know, I was like the Babe Ruth of PSA, right? Like, you know, you can, you can like, like put on the highlight reel, you know, the, uh, you know, the the black and white movie and see Jerry working his dogs back in 2008. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I always felt like if I didn't, um, you know, get a PSA 3 in the modern era, right, then I'd fall behind, right? So, um, that was a lot of my impetus to, to get, um, you know, get uh, Drago and Raptor and be, you know, pushing them through to their titles in the last five years. So that's, you know, that's, that, that's something, right? Um, but I'm really impressed with the level of training. I'm also really impressed with the level of the use of motivation. Like, you know, our, our, the trainers, you know, we're, we're training police dogs, right? And so one of the cool things is you come out and watch us train police dogs and we've got hot dogs and clickers and. You know, we're doing all this cool motivational stuff, laying foundation and groundwork for these dogs to be super successful. You know, the yank and crank of yesteryear and police dogs is kind of over, you know. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm really proud of that. Like, we're, we're bringing a lot of these, you know, new good technologies to bear on, you know, on training dogs. And when I say te- technology, this is a way of doing things. And so, um, you know, there's so much good information out there nowadays you know, that, uh, you know, I think that I think if everything continues to go that way and people leave us alone, um, it's going to get much, much more motivational. I think, you know, the electronic training that we do is so good at like communicating with dogs nowadays and communicating at distances with them. Um, you know, it's not like you know, people sometimes make it out to be like a punishment based training and stuff. It's really, really communication. And we're getting so much better at communicating with dogs. And I think, I think that's a huge part of it. And I think if we are as a profession, left to continue to challenge ourselves, um, it's only going to get better. Right. I really, I really believe that.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all your work in the dog industry, PSA police dogs. You, you really are an asset. So.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I love it. And, um, it was uh, really fun uh, getting to meet you and thank you for inviting me on. I hope we stay in, in touch and um, you know, anytime you're out in North Carolina, you know, just uh, shoot me a, a message and come on out and check out what we do. Uh, thanks to all the people that uh, jumped on. And I, I see uh, uh, my buddy, uh, uh, Eric uh, from k Canine is on. Um, yeah. Like anybody who uh, is out in the area, you want to stop by, say hi, join you know, if you're a PSA trainer and you want to come to our club and pop in, do a, do some, uh, do some training with us, uh, you know, let me know. Um, But uh, yeah, all the PSA people that uh, came on tonight. Thanks. And anybody who is interested, you know, like uh, come out, you know, find a PSA club, get out there uh, and uh, start training your dog. It's a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Jerry. All
1: right. Thank you. You take care Jillian. It was nice to talk to you. Take care. Bye.